So I, I, I wanted to start by um, confessing that I have a problem, and I think this is a problem that we all face, and I face this problem quite a bit this week, and I face it all the time, and I realize that it's a problem, and there are times where I'm very aware of what's going on in my heart and my mind, and then there's also times where I tend to just um, kind of spiral into this problem, and then it's not until I'm further down <laughs> the spiral that I realize I've allowed this to overcome me. Um, and so m- my problem is that I want a perfect world, <laughs> right? I want things to be a certain way so that, one, I'm not inconvenienced or uncomfortable or challenged, right? I, I have uh, what, I've put words to this before, it's <laughs> a millennialistic ideal, a utopian idealism. <laughs> Let me say that again, a millennialistic um, utopian idealism, and maybe not millennialistic. I know that everybody falls into that category. Um, but it seems as though anytime I start to complain about certain things, it's just like, oh, you're a millennial, you know, ha, 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 whatever. But I would call it this utopian I- idealism where I want things to be perfect, right? I don't want to feel pain. I don't want to be sick, right? Um, I, I want to enjoy every second of every moment at my desk, at my job. <laughs> I want everything in my home to be perfect all the time, always clean, always spick and span. I don't want any conflict between my wife and I or my stepson and I or my, you know, whatever, I just, or my friends. Like, I want, I want no conflict, right? And so I've realized that, um, that this is an issue for me. And some of you may know that sometimes I have a bit of a control issue and I like to see things be a certain way. Um, But I realize this is, like all of this is part of a deeper issue in my heart. And God is so good (laughs) that he allows me to essentially get so dissatisfied with my circumstances and my environment and my surroundings and my relationships, that he allows me to get into that place so that he can show me the error in my heart. Because what he wants more than anything, right, is to, is to rid me of selfishness and sin and living in such a way that I'm, I'm trying to um, please my flesh and the desires of my sinful nature, right? And so my problem is, is that oftentimes I get into this place to where I'm I'm looking at my life through this lens of this idealistic, utopian way of seeing things, right? And so then when things start to get out of line, I start to get really, really dissatisfied, and, and that's a problem. That's a huge problem. Um, one, because it makes me a grump. 
And two, because I, I would assume that it makes the people closest to me feel as though they're, one, they're not doing enough to help like me be happy, so to speak. And, and it's detrimental in a lot of different ways. And so I found myself this week really battling again, as always, with a lot of these different issues coming up. And I tell you, when I get sick, it just exacerbates the problem. And it magnifies and amplifies the issue because, one, I'm, I'm a feeler. I, I navigate the world and I perceive certain things with feeling first. And so if something makes me feel bad or, you know, I've, I feel tired or exhausted or hopeless or whatever it is, the situation makes me feel a certain way, not only then am I battling with that control issue and that heart issue, now I'm like experiencing that manifest physically in my body so that it's now compounded. And so I found myself this week dealing with all these different issues and I think it was maybe Friday night, Thursday night or Friday night, I can't remember, I was, I was laying in bed, um, very, very, very tired um, and sick and dissatisfied and looking at this world before me and in my mind, I'm entertaining all of these thoughts that are, one, most likely from the enemy and all of these things, he's, he's trying to get me to view everything that I'm going through as this terrible thing. And that, and so one, it's in that place where I'm experiencing these thoughts that I then start having thoughts of like giving up. I should just give up. This is stupid. Why am I even doing this? Like, you know, whatever. And then, and then essentially fantasizing about this, this idealistic utopia well, if, the, if only this would happen, if only I could, if only my relationship was like this, if only my job situation were this, if only we could get all our debt paid down, if only, the, and so I start this if-then process, and I think you guys have maybe heard me talk about this before, but I start creating all these if-then statements, and I create this place that is this utopian reality that I think if I could just get there, then I would be fine. And I would be happy, <laughs> right? And so this is a major, major issue because I think we do it all the time and I get caught in this trap and I get, I get into these loops where I do this over and over again. And, and so it was in that place where I was really tired and I'm thinking about giving up and I'm, and I'm entertaining all of these thoughts and I'm getting angry and I'm feeling terrible and it's like a deep, dark place. I've spiraled down into this, into this place, probably where Satan wants me. And it's in that place where the Lord met me with this scripture, James 1, 2 through 4. And I'm sure you guys have read this. Um, and it says, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete lacking nothing and so it's in this place where where essentially I'm wanting to give up that the Lord is saying you you're allowing it, number one this utopia <laughs> You know, and, and again, it's just a utopia is where everything's like perfect and ideal, right? It's like 
All of those if-then statements become true. If I could just this, then that. And it's that place where all of that is a reality. And, and the Lord meets me in this dark place and reminds me that what I'm going through and the trials of various kinds that I'm enduring is the, is the place that I need to be versus being there. Because I think I need to be here where everything's perfect. And the Lord is saying, no, you need to be over here where everything is not perfect, where there's trial, where there's discomfort, where there's, there's conflict in relationships, right? And that seems like, I mean, Scripture talks about being in unity and being at peace with each other. But it's in those places where we're experiencing not that ideal that ideal circumstance that the Lord's going to meet us there and he's going to do a work in us that has to be done in us. Because one, I could make, I could make the statement, well, if God really loved me, he would allow all of these things to become reality, so then I would be happy, right? Well, that's foolishness. God loves me so much that he allows me to go through these things so that he can deal with my heart, so that if those circumstances and those situations never change, I change, Right? He wants to change us where we are so that we become a people that aren't swayed and tossed about. He talks about this later in James. Double-minded men who are tossed about to and fro. Right? You're like a wave tossed about by the ocean that that me as a person, if I'm um, if I'm a person that is swayed and influenced by whether or not a circumstance or a situation is the way that I think it should be, right? It's going to move me. And it's going to affect my emotions. It's going to affect the way that I exist in my relationships with other people. And God is saying, no, you're not going to be a person that's going to be affected by your circumstances. You're going to be a person that's going to stand strong and stand firm on the foundation of Christ, no matter what is going on around you, right? This is the work that he wants to do in us. So he says, consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. And the reason that we can have joy in that time is because there's a work that he's doing in us. And, and again, we've talked about this in the past couple of weeks, that we could either, we can come into alignment with and agree with the work he's doing in us, or we can fight against it. Right? And so it says, the testing of your faith produces endurance. And so the testing of our faith and the, and the various things that we go through, the intention of that for the Lord in our lives is that there would be a producing, that something would be produced out of that. And it's not, and, and so I'm the kind, of, I've, I'm of the mindset that trials take away, right? That trials steal my joy. They steal my comfort. They, they steal my hope of this idealistic reality. And so trials are my enemy and they're here to tear me down, right? Except scripture tells us that trials actually serve the purpose of producing something in us that's maybe not already there. And what's interesting, it says then... Um, the testing of your faith produces endurance and we have to allow endurance to have full effect so that we may be mature and complete lacking nothing 
And so it's in the trial where I, I feel like all these things are coming against me and, and I think, oh, there's something to be gained, but it's not through the trial. I think I'm complete, lacking nothing when I have no trials. Except it's the trial that brings you to a place of completion to where you don't lack. And so without the trial, without the, without the dystopia, right? Without an environment and a life of trial, without a life of discomfort, without a life of testing, well, then that work isn't done in us. And so the Lord is saying that when we're in these, in these places where we're experiencing these trials, even if it's like sickness, you know, sickness is a, is a tough place for me because it, it makes me, when I'm sick, I feel, one, worthless. I feel like, two, I can't do what I'm supposed to be doing. I feel like my entire life comes to a halt. You know what I mean? And I allow that sickness to kind of like just rob me of all that I am in, in Christ. And it's almost as if I get to the place when I'm, when I'm ill where I forget hope and I forget Christ. And then I, it's like as if my life stops and then I can't serve the Lord or be useful to the kingdom or be loving to my family or be useful in my job or produce the fruit of the Spirit because I have a fever and a cough. You know what I mean? And I allow these, these things in my life to like render me useless. When Scripture says that these, these trials, these things that we endure, are meant for the purpose of production. Do you guys resonate <laughs> at all with anything that I'm saying? I, I mean, am I the only one that has that problem? <laughs> it's an issue, right? And... You know, when I was like laying in bed and I'm, you know, I'm thinking about this stuff and the Lord's kind of speaking some of these things to me. Um, you know, I just kind of felt like on a very simple uh, foundational level that some somebody needed a message of encouragement to endure through the trials, to not give up. I'm here to tell you this morning by the word of the Lord, don't give up. Don't give up. Because I know what it's like to be in that place to want to give up. You know? And, and here's the thing. It's like, we've talked about this before. Like there, it, when, when Jesus was teaching the crowds, and then he gave a hard teaching, and then the crowds left, and then he looks over to his disciples and he says, are you going to leave me too? And then they say, where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have nowhere to go. And I tell you that there's times where I, I get to this point and it's like, I think about giving up and Satan's like, you know, yeah, give up. Just throw in the towel. Like, and, and I think to myself, well, where will I go? What else is there? And, and Satan does a really good job of making you feel like the place you're in right now is like a terrible place, right? And he paints this beautiful picture, right? It's what he did in the Garden of Eden. He said, well, if you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you'll be like God. You just won't have to be in this position to, to, to know God and, and, 
and essentially be controlled by him. Well, did he really say that you would die? Like, his commands aren't enough. Be like God then. Be in control. Live dependently of God or live um, independently of God in your own place. And yeah, you go create your own utopia. You can be like God. And so then you can, you can control things in such a way that, that you can create the outcome that you want, right? This is like essentially the lie of the enemy. He wants us to think that apart from God, we can go be in this better place. Right? This is this is a satanic thought process. And so just on a again foundational level, like I know what it's like to want to give up. I know what it's like to be weighed down by the trials of life. I know what it's like to be in that dark place where there you're essentially hopeless. But it's in that place again that the Lord will meet us and He and He tells me to consider it great joy that you aren't in this idealistic utopian place because there's a work that I want to do in you. And it's when you're challenged, it's when your faith is tested, it's when you're uncomfortable, it's when you're tired, it's when you're sick, it's when you're angry, it's when you're disgruntled that I'm going to do a work in you and I'm going to change your heart because that's what he wants to do in us, right? Let me read James 1.12. It's the next scripture here. It says, Blessed is the one who endures trials. And so scripture tells us we're blessed when we endure trials. Right? We endure them. We, the testing of our faith produces endurance. We go through these tough times, but it's in those tough times that our faith is proved strong in the Lord because He's our strength. And so we get through these hard times and hard, tough times don't last, right? But tough times will come and go. How many times have, have, you, have you done this in your life? And I do this all the time. Someone asks, well, how are you doing? I say, well, I just had a rough week or I had a rough day. And then the next week someone says, how are you doing? I'm like, man, I had a really good day. And then the next day, how are you doing? Oh, I just had a really, really tough day. And it's like tough days and great days and tough days and great days, right? And it's always going to shift. It's always going to shift. But do we want to be people who are influenced and steered by our circumstances and situations, right? Because if that were the case, like if I continue to allow myself to be moved um, into this dark place because things aren't the way that I think they should be, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live a miserable life. And that's what Satan wants, right? He wants us to be miserable. He wants us to be disgruntled. He wants us to question God and question God's love for us and question God's mercy and question God's sovereignty. This is blesses the one who endures trials because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And so I'm going to kind of interpret this not through the lens of a trial or just trials or hard times, but I'm going to interpret this through the lens of our life on earth. Right? This, this life that we live and walked out on the face of the planet, blessed is the one who endures that 
Because when he stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life that God has promised him. It's, I don't think it's just this one-time thing or, you know, oh, I've had five trials in my life or I've had a hundred trials. You know, it's, it's walking out this life and continuing to persevere in our faith in Christ and allowing that faith in us to produce and to change us. And so something I wanted to say about... Um, about this testing of our faith is this, is that, you know, we try and avoid trials, but it, I think it's um, because what we really think we need is, is comfort, right? But what we really, truly need is maturity and completion in the Lord. And so we try and avoid trials, but what the Lord wants to do in us is bring us to this place of maturity. But here's... Um, here's where I was going with this, that without trials, we lack. And without trials and testing, we remain immature and lacking. Right? So that the Lord would say to us, I want to do a work in you and I'm going to bring it to completion, but I'm going to use trials to do that work in you. And so then, in my, in my pride, I would buck against that and say, but I don't want that. <laughs> I want this perfect world. I don't want to endure those things. And so for me to, to push back against trials and testing of my faith is me saying, no, I'm, I'm already complete and there's not a work that needs to be done in me. And that we would push back against the work that the Lord would want to do in us. And so for me to essentially say yes to the work that the Lord wants to do in me is for me to say yes to trial that would come my way and to receive that trial with joy and say, thank you, Lord, that you're taking me through this because I know it's you doing a work in me and I welcome the discomfort and I, and I welcome these situations they are going to cause me to not feel so good in my body and not feel so good in my flesh and challenge the way that I think and challenge the way that I see the world. And that's, I feel like that's a difficult thing, right? That's a difficult thing to say, yes, Lord, bring that so that it changes me. And then to even come to a place to where, where we experience joy in that. Like, I don't know if you know anybody like this, but I would like to meet somebody who, when you say, like, and, and, I, and I've heard some people say it this way, or, or be like this before, but, man, so how's that going? I heard you're going through a really tough time. Yeah, but you know what, man, the Lord is so good, and, and he's in control, and I'm just so happy that, you know, it, it could be worse, and, and you know, it's just kind of like they have that silver lining kind of thing, and I've seen some people do that, but... In my, in, in my walk, essentially what I'm doing right now is admitting immaturity in my walk to you because I don't accept my trials with great joy at this point, right? I'm not saying, oh, this is so great because the Lord is doing a work in me. And so if this is what needs to happen in my life for him to complete that work, well, then that's great. Bring it on, Lord. You know, I curl up in a ball and I'm like, this sucks and I hate my life. 
<laughs> and so, um, what James goes on to say just after this, and I don't have the scripture, but he says, and so if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives without finding fault, who does not show partiality. And so I think the reason James talks about if we're lacking wisdom to ask God for wisdom is because he's saying, consider a great joy when you endure trials of many kinds, because that's going to do something in you. It's going to change you. It's going to produce endurance. It's going to produce perseverance. And perseverance is going to do a work in you that's going to bring you to maturity and completion to where you're lacking nothing. But if in my situation I'm missing the, the wisdom to be able to see my situation through that lens, I can then ask God and say, give me wisdom to see what you're doing in me in this time. Right? And so it could be the situation where then I, I, I say, okay, God, like, you know, all these things seem out of order to me. I'm, I'm not happy in this environment or in this instance and and there are these things going on that are making me feel this certain way and I don't like it and I want to change it however Lord can you give me wisdom from heaven in this moment to see what you're trying to do in me and then once you show me and give me wisdom to see that and understand it well then let me say Yes and amen to the work that you're doing. Let me come into agreement and into alignment with it. And then, and then in that place find joy and say, the Lord's working something out in me. And it's interesting because I think if we're unchanged and unscathed by various trials, I think we might be able to, we might be being led back into those places, back into that furnace, those fiery trials, so that the Lord can burn up the chaff. He can burn up the flesh and burn up the sin and bring us out on the other side refined. Amen? And so then James 1, 17 through 18 says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And so one, he says, every good and perfect gift is from above. And so I, I don't know that James is essentially um, ascribing the phrase good and perfect gift to trials. But I would say the things that we endure in this life that cause us to have a testing of faith, I would, I would think that James is saying, yeah, those are gifts from the Father. Right? And so, there, man, there's a scripture, I can't remember. It was like one of the minor prophets. Like one of these, it was in Amos. Right? You know the book Amos? Um, and I remember one day I was like, what is even in this, in these books? And I was reading through it and I came across, um, some scripture and it was, it was very 
conflicting within me because it went against everything that I had maybe come to know about God. And I had always said, well, you know, God's not going to cause a bad thing to happen in your life. And then one, I started to question whether or not I had the, the authority to deem a situation good or bad, right? Because, like, I would look at something and say, this is bad. Except if all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose, well, then can we really call bad things bad if they work for good? And if God uses them for good, well, isn't that good? Isn't a bad thing then now good because God has done something with it? And so I was reading in Amos, and, it, and, and, and the Lord says, I'm the one that caused your, your, uh, your harvest to die, right? He says, I'm the one that brought pestilence into your land. He said, I'm the one that filled your, the, nost- your, the nostrils with the scent of rotting flesh, Right? And so he's essentially saying, I'm the one that caused all of these things to happen. I'm the one that brought about famine. I'm the one that brought about drought. And then he said, and yet you still have to turn from your wicked ways and turn to me. And he's talking to the Israelites. And basically God is saying, I've done all I know how to do to cause you to come back to me. Right? And essentially what, what God was wanting was people to turn their hearts towards him. And so he, he brought about drought. He brought about famine. He thought that if he could get people into this place of lack, that they would hit their knees and cry out to the God of the universe and say, Lord, we need you. Right? And then he's, he, he's saying in Amos, he, he's like, I'm the one that brought this on you and still you have yet to turn back to me. And I remember reading that and thinking, So God caused bad things to happen to people? Like, I don't know that God does that, except in the scripture, he was using that. And I thought, but that's like a bad thing. You would cause people to go hungry, and you would cause people, you know, like, and you, you know, people, the the army would die at battle, and then the stench of their rotting flesh would come into the camp, and and people would be experiencing mourning and loss and weeping and like be in this terrible place. Why would God wish that on them or cause that to happen? That's not the God that I know. And then I realized the best thing for any one of us and for anybody is to be in a place where we are completely and totally dependent on God for all things. Because the moment that we're not dependent on God, we're dependent on self, and self cannot save the way that God can save. Right? And so, God is a God who loves us enough to allow and even cause things to happen in our life so that we turn to Him because that's what's best for us. We think, so in in Amos, I would have thought that abundance and life would have been the best thing for those people, right? Well, let, let all of the soldiers live. Let the harvest be bountiful. 
Let the rivers flow with abundant waters into the land. Let the crop yield a hundredfold for the people. And that would be best for them. And God says, no, what's best is that they know me and depend on me. For if the land were producing, right, would they need me? And so what's best for me is that I have these places in my life where I'm not totally, completely satisfied because if I were completely and totally satisfied in those things, I wouldn't need the Lord to be my only satisfaction. And so when he talks about um, at the end of this scripture, by his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now that's kind of an interesting statement. We would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And so I would I would I would think about this in the in the context of the scripture that says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. It's not that we're just a new version of ourselves, it's that in Christ we are a new creation. So Adam was the first man. Jesus was the last Adam. He was the last man. And, he was, and so Jesus died and then he resurrected, right? And he's in this glorified body, in this glorified spiritual state. And in Christ we have all things. And we have all that we need. And so because we're in Christ, our body is no longer subject to death, right? But also I would say, in Christ, we're no longer subject to being ruled by our circumstances and our situations. Does that make sense? So that we're this kind of first fruit of his creatures, that we aren't the kind of people that are tossed to and fro by shifting circumstances. And that trials aren't the kind of thing that crush us and cause us to quit and give up. But it's trials and the things that aren't going so great in life and the circumstances that aren't perfect that produce in us something that the world can't, can't produce when they're in that same situation. So a person without Christ going through a hard time is going to look very different than a person in Christ going through a hard time, right? So that Christians are the kind of people, people who are in Christ are the kind of people who can have joy in the terrible, right? That we, we would see, we might be the people in Amos that say, man, the, the harvest, we, there's famine, there's no harvest, there's famine, there's no, you know, the, the cisterns have dried up. The river's no longer flowing with water that we can drink. All of our armies have died. But we have the Lord. And in the Lord, we find fullness of joy. It's a completely different mentality. And so I think maybe what the Lord is trying to teach me, something I need to grasp is that I don't have to be the kind of person that spirals into this depression 
in this dark place because things aren't the way that I think they need to be. He says, number one, he meets us in that place and he's enough. And he would say, I am enough. And that I'm, I might find myself in these places and I say, no, Lord, you're enough. Or I say, yes, you're enough. And so now the brokenness in me that causes me to, to go this way in the first place, you're trying to heal that brokenness, right? And so in all things, things that make me angry, and I don't mean like a, like a, a, a righteous anger, but like offenses, things that offend me. Somebody offends me and that stirs up. Well, number one, I want justice for myself. What does that look like? What is my expectation of justice in a situation where someone offends me? Well, one, I could say, okay, Lord, I'm offended. Why am I offended? What's going on in my heart that's stirring that up, right? Why is this such an issue? You know, why, why if I know you, Lord, can I not find contentment in my eight to five, right? Like, what is broken in me or what false expectation do I have? I remember talking to my, my, uh, my nephew, and he was going through a really hard time um, with some stuff with his wife and some, some health issues. And he was just in this, he's like, I'm so broken and I'm so hopeless. And, and, and he was really disturbed over it and, you know, and weeping and, and, and just, just messed up by it. And uh, just remember in that moment talking to him, and it was like one of the hardest things I've ever said to anybody. And I said, you know, I was like, I know it's a hard time for you, and like I can see that you're really struggling. And I said, but it's, I said, I think maybe you've put your faith in the gospel of comfort and not in the gospel of Christ. And I was like, oh, that sucks to say to somebody I love. But I think... In some way, shape, or form, we've believed in a gospel of comfort. Right? We believe that when we come to Jesus, everything's going to be okay. Right? Like, I remember thinking that when I was younger. I was like a teenager in high school, and I and I'm like wanting to chase after the Lord, but I felt like as if I was going to chase after the Lord, and I was going to say yes, and there was just going to be like this. I don't know what it was, an, an event or some point in my life where I've fully said yes. And then all my problems go away, right? And all my issues are solved. And again, even at an earlier age, thinking that there's this idealistic, utopian place that I can exist where everything's butterflies and rainbows and hunky-dory. But if we look at the Apostle Paul, he says in Philippians, For I have found the secret of being content in every situation whether well-fed or hungry or living in plenty or living in want. And that's when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What was that which he can do in Christ that strengthened him is that he could be hungry and he could be living in want. He could, he could be hungry and shipwrecked and beaten and left for dead. I mean, I tell you, if I think of... You know, I think my, when I'm sick at home, you know, like that's a bad place. But like beaten by people you're trying to preach the gospel to and then left for dead in a city without, you know, like 
with no way to go home, no, no cell phone to call somebody, no food to get you through the next day. Maybe you only have what's, you know, in your backpack or in your bag on, on your travels, like, and then beaten and left for dead. That's probably like as bad as it gets. But then Paul even said, I've found the secret of being content even in that place. And it's through Christ who strengthens me. You know, and I'm not, I'm not trying to minimize the things that we endure because for us, those issues and those trials are real. But the question is, are we going to allow those things to crush us and allow those things to bring us to a place to where we're hopeless or do we, in those places, cry out to the Lord and say, what is it that you want to do in me in this place? And so, just on a very personal um, from a personal place. Yeah, I've, I've not navigated this week very well. Um, and even for years, I've not navigated um, my discontentments very well. And I've allowed some of that to pour into you know, my relationships and affect the people around me. And, and I just, I just want to confess, like, I want that to change. I don't want to um, continue existing in a place where I'm, I'm not bearing fruit in Christ, but I'm bearing the fruit of the, the flesh, right? The works of the flesh are obvious, it says. And then it talks about, you know, anger and dissension and jealousy and strife and envy and all these different things. And, and I think it's in those places of discontentment that those things are birthed. But if somehow, some way, I can just be in this place and say, okay, God, what do you want to show me? It's a very simple, God, this sucks. I don't like the way this makes me feel. I don't like this. I don't know what to do. I don't feel like I have control. I don't feel like I have an answer. But God, give me wisdom and show me what you desire to do in this time. Does that make sense? You guys still tracking? How many of you would say you're in a trial right now in some way, shape, or form? <laughs> we all, somehow, some way. <clears throat> so what I want to do now is I'm going to lead us in some prayer. And, and I would just, I would, I would pray and um, maybe what I pray is uh, will resonate uh, with where you are. Uh, but Jonathan is going to come up and he's going to play one last song. And uh, I think this is where where worship is warfare. Because the scripture that, or the, the, um, the song we're singing is this song, When You Walk Into the Room. You guys know this song, right? <laughs> Kim's like, yes, right? And, and the words say, when you walk into the room... Everything changes. Darkness starts to vanish with the light that you bring. When you walk into the room, right? The, the dead begin to rise. And every hopeless situation ceases to exist. And this is the power of Christ. Is that when, when, he, when he shows up, when he arrives, everything is different. 
Me wallowing in my, in my brokenness and me wallowing in my situation and saying, oh, I'm sick, I feel terrible, I don't like this, I don't like my job, blah, 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 and I'm just complaining, 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 complaining. And then the Lord meets me there in that place and says, what if what I'm trying to do in you needs to happen in this place? Right? And not that he's like angry and yelling at me. He said, what, what if... You're supposed to have joy in this trial because this trial is going to produce something in you. And so when he comes into that situation and shows me and gives me wisdom to see with his eyes and, and the spirit to know his mind and his heart for the situation, right? It's not that he desires misery for me, but what he desires for me is himself and he's going to allow things to happen so that he can give me himself in the place where I would say, I need you, Lord. And that those things would drive me to cry out and say, I need you. Right? And oftentimes I'm, I'm in this place and I exhaust, my, I exhaust my resources. Right? I exhaust my abilities. I exhaust my um, ability to change my situations. Like, I'll tell you what, one of the things that... There's... There's something in my life that I've been really wanting to change. And I think about it like almost every single day, you know, and, and, and I have the best intentions for my family and for our ministry. And I have all these great intentions. But I tell you, I exhaust myself trying to figure out a solution on how to change a situation. And I always come up against a wall. And it's as though when I hit that wall, I fall into this place of hopelessness. And it's like, every time I do that, I come to a place of surrender and I say, yeah, Lord, I can't change this. I need you to change it. But then things don't change on a timeline of my liking. And so then I begin to exhaust myself again and come to a place of hopelessness and say, I need you. And then it doesn't change. And then I say, I need you. And then I try and change it. And then I say, I need you. But I always end up in the place to where I say, I need you, Lord. I need you to intervene on this. And, and I think I have enough wisdom to say, I need you, Lord. But I don't have enough trust to say, I trust you and your timing on this as well. And I will endure. I will endure and I will persevere by your strength. As long as you need me to endure and persevere... Right? And I think that's maybe what I need to say this morning to the Father. And so let's pray, and then we're going to proclaim that when Jesus walks into the room, everything's changed. Everything changes. And so, Father, we just come to you, Lord, and um, I just, I need to say to you um, that um, I've tried in my strength with my abilities and my talents and my resources and my knowledge and everything that I am, God, I've, I've, I've tried and I've gone over it over and over and over again in my head of how I can do this and how I can do that. And I just can't seem to, to get to a place to where I, I can figure it out. And so I know that's you wanting me to, to come to you and say, Lord, I need you. Um, and I've done that, Father, but I've also not 
said that I trust you in the process and that I trust you with the timeline and that I trust you to um, give me the strength to persevere and endure to be brought to this place of maturity and completion where I lack nothing. And so, God, I just want to submit myself to you in, the, in this place, Father. And, and Lord, you, you see the hearts of the people here, God. They know their situations. They know where they've tried and tried and failed. And they know where they've not given you complete and total control of, of everything, God. And so I pray that this would be a time of surrender. I pray that this would be a time of freedom and power, a time of deliverance. Father, I pray for a heavenly infusion of perseverance and endurance in our times of struggle. Um, God, that we would draw from you, Lord. We would, we would draw from the well of grace. We would, we would be like the tree planted by streams of water, God, that our roots would go deep into the river and that we would source from you the one who is life and gives life. And, and so, Lord, we just want to um, take some time and proclaim and pray and surrender and um, ask for wisdom in our trials and uh, proclaim, Jesus, that you, you change everything. And so meet us in our deepest, darkest places, God, where we've spiraled into depression, we've spiraled into hopelessness, we've spiraled into a place of fear, So God, would you meet us there in that place in this time? to worship you.
God, all we are, we give you permission. Our hearts are yours, we want you. Yeah, we want you. Come and consume, God, all we are, we give you permission. Our hearts are yours, we want you. Lord, we want you. Come and consume, God, all we are. We give you permission. Our hearts are yours. We want you. Lord, we want you. Come and consume, God, all we are. We give you permission. Our hearts are yours. We want you. We want you. Look into the room. Everything changes, darkness starts to tremble at the light that you bring. When you walk into the room, every heart starts burning. Nothing matters more than just sit here at your feet and worship you. Nothing matters more than just sit here at your feet and worship you love you we'll never stop with anything without you we love you we're getting enough all this is for you starts to vanish every hopeless situation ceases to exist when you walk into the room the dead began to rise cause there is resurrection life in all you do good yes maybe blessed is the one who endures trials because when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him 
And so trials are a blessing, my friends. I know that's <clears throat> it's kind of goes against what we may think or feel, but the Lord allows us to endure trial because he's doing a work in us. And so um, I would just want to just want to um, speak a blessing over us. And as I, I speak this forth, I want us to um, to have faith and believe that we come into agreement with kingdom principles and kingdom truths that those things become reality and they, they manifest on earth as it is in heaven, right? That there's something, something powerful about that. It's a, it's a physical act that um, ignites. Maybe that's not the word I'm looking for. It initiates something in the spiritual, right? So I want to speak this over us. I want to bless us with wisdom from God the Father, who's seated on the throne. I want to bless us with wisdom from heaven to be able to, with our spiritual eyes, see the trials that we endure in the physical on earth with the eyes and the heart of the Father so that we no longer see these discomforts and these, these problems and these circumstances with eyes that would produce hopelessness or anger or would produce something in us that would try and change our circumstance through our own strength and our own power. And so eyes to see our trials with the eyes of the Father and to have wisdom to see what he's doing in us and to submit ourselves to that so that we're not crushed by our circumstances and our situations, but we're a kind of first fruit of his new creatures that live in such a way that trial, discomfort, and persecution, and things that we would have normally seen as bad would be something we can find great joy in that would produce something in us that the world can't have produced in them because they are without Christ. Amen? so that we see our lives through a new lens, through a heavenly lens, through the eyes and the heart of our Father, so that we're not crushed, but we're built up, we're matured, and we're brought to completion, not lacking anything. Amen? You guys good with that? Would you like to see your circumstances through a new lens? Would you like to find joy in the trial and not be crushed by it or fall through the spiral into the place of darkness? Right. Yeah. Paul said we're, we're, we're crushed, right? We're, we're pressed on every, we're hard pressed on every side. Um, 
but we're not crushed, right? We're persecuted, we're not abandoned, we're struck down, but not destroyed.